to Driving Forces here on WBAI-FM New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz, here, as always, with my lovely and talented co-host, Jeff Simmons. So, hey, Jeff, how's it going? Good afternoon, Celeste. Good to be here with you, and obviously we have a really, really busy show today, really packed, some good guests coming up, um, tough Tough few days, tough week. Um, more than that, maybe, I think, considering the stuff that's been going on that we've seen uh, El Paso, Dayton, uh, just uh, even the false alarm, frankly, that we saw at the USA Today building uh, in the, the D.C. area. Just, uh, just sort of very disquieting and upsetting and obviously, obviously tragic. I mean, the disheartening and the heightened fear that is taking place across the country. Consider even the the motorcycle that backfired in Times right, Square right. that caused what seemed like a momentary panic as people uh, thought the worst. Oh, absolutely. I think that people are on very, very high alert. And I think that's uh, something that affects people no matter where they are. It used to be uh, you know, for for better or for worse, I can't say which, but in the past, people, I remember growing up and having people say, wow, you live in New York, there's, you know, isn't it dangerous there? Or, you know, maybe somebody would say, oh, you live in L.A. or Chicago, isn't it dangerous there? You know, now people are getting hurt and killed in El Paso, Dayton, Pittsburgh, uh, Parkland, Florida. It's not... It, it, it's not a problem for the, the big cities or the cities anymore. It's everywhere now. Yeah, and I just think a little more broadly about my time here. It's been about two and a half decades in New York City. And even after September 11th, I mean, you know, we were both working for uh, um, daily outlets at that point. I was with New York One. You right. were with Daily News. Right. And just the heightened fear and concern people had about even being in public spaces. Right, right. And then sometimes those fears were actually actually became real. You remember very shortly after the uh, after the 9/11 attacks that uh, we had that plane crash in uh, in Queens, right? Uh, the uh, flight that was going to the Dominican Republic, if I'm not the mistaken. The crash in the Rockaways yeah, that, that yeah. fall. So it's. Uh, certainly uh, tense times and that's some of what we're going to be talking about today but we're also going to be talking about a very specific angle on uh, on the violence that's been happening and that's specifically people who are doing this in the name of hatred in the name of white supremacy uh, nationalism ultra nationalism uh, in these kind of hate movements we have a couple of people coming on who are uh, experts on how these things propagate specifically on social media and uh, how people find each other and that's not to say that everybody who participates in uh, conversations on platforms like HN or gab or even uh, the hate sort of platforms on Twitter or Facebook. That's certainly not to say that everybody engages in that kind of open violence, but there is a real underworld that we are seeing a lot more of now, mm-hmm. of, of hatred in this country. And so we have some people who will be able to talk a lot about that. And uh, before we get to that, though, I do want to take a few moments and just talk about our our uh, summer fundraising season. We've just got a few days left, and from what I understand, we're doing well, but we really could do a little bit better. Uh, if you are a, a long time or even a new listener of WBAI and you appreciate that this is commercial free, listener sponsored uh, radio, uh, we're asking you kindly to make a donation, a contribution to keep us on the air, to keep quality. Uh, progressive uh, peace and justice radio going. Uh, our pledge line is 516-620-3602. If you're at a computer or on your smartphone, you can go to give to, that's the number two, wbai.org. Again, that's give to wbai.org. Or if you're on your smartphone, you could also text WBAI to 41444 to make a contribution to support us. Both Celeste and I are WBAI buddies in which we give monthly recurring donations. You can give any amount, $5, 10 20 any amount, an automatic deduction that helps to support us. And you become a BAI buddy. You get a, a 
BAI Buddy card in which uh, you can also use that to get discounts that are identified on our website. And uh, when your contributions reach just $25, just $25, in addition to the perks that you can get of membership, of uh, discounts, and uh, entree to, to interesting places and uh, programs, uh, you can become a voting member of this station. You can be part of what WBAI means to New York, and that means independent, listener-supported, free speech radio. So give us a call, 516-620-3602 is the number, or just go to WBAI.org. And one thing that Celeste has lined up for us, if you're able to make a $50 donation today, uh, our book's about someone whose name I'm sure you're going to hear a lot during this show and the discussions we're going to have, and that's Donald Trump. For $50, you can get one of two amazing, insightful books by authors we've had here on the show. Uh, on Driving Forces. You can choose from The Best People by Alexander Nazarian, uh, which chronicled or detailed a lot of uh, the supposed, I'm making air quotes, best people that Donald Trump has hired in his administration, or The Method to the Madness by Alan Sorkin, not Alan Sorkin, but Alan Sorkin, and Aaron Short, uh, both really excellent journalists who get into the mindset of Donald Trump. And again, that number to call if you donate $50 is 516-620-3602. And we really thank you for your support. So on that note, uh, if you will just check it out, you can go to WBAI.org. But we're going to jump into our conversation today. And this is the kind of conversation, again, that WBAI brings to New York in a way that I don't think any other station does. And that's why we appreciate your support in helping us keep it on the air. Uh, Our first guest today is Michael Edison Hayden. He is senior investigative reporter with the Southern Poverty Law Center. And his work is focused on internet radicalization and far-right extremism. He wrote a guide for Columbia University's Task Center on open source intelligence reporting this year. He is a three-time grantee of the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting. I know his work from our time together at Newsweek, and he has a big, big story out uh, just this week that you know you're going to want to hear about. So, uh, Michael Edison Hayden, welcome to Driving Forces. Hi, Celeste. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I was uh, <laughs> looking at your, well, I don't know. You tell me how I am based on this piece that you wrote, which is really, I'm just going to read the, the very top of it to give sure. people an idea. And then, you know, you can take us through it. Uh, this is the top of your story uh, for Hate Watch specifically. Quote, a U.S. State Department official oversaw the Washington, D.C. area chapter of a white nationalist organization, hosted white nationalists at his home and published white nationalist propaganda online, Hate Watch has determined, unquote. So tell us about your investigation. What did you find and how did you find it? Sure. Um, so I had, um, taking it, um, you know, be- before the start of this organization, uh, b- before I started working on uh, this particular story, I had written about the organization for which um, the State Department official, whose name is Matthew Jaber, uh, was organizing with. And um, I had uh, written about the identity of a person named, who went by Spectre online. Um, this person um, had led the har- harassment campaigns against journalists mm-hmm. and women and minorities, and he turned out to be a, um, a journalist whose byline had not appeared since uh, 2013. 13, I believe. Hey, hey, uh, hang on. Let, j- me, let me jump in for one second. I'm sorry. We're having a little bit of a tech problem. Um, yeah. Our, our engineer is going to call you right back. Just stay where you are. We're going to call you right back and see if we can get a better I'm right here. Okay, thanks. Okay. Michael. Okay, Bye. thanks. So uh, sorry about that, you guys. We are just going to get Michael uh, Edison Hayden from the Southern Poverty Law Center back on the line. A good reason to remind you that we are also raising money to build out our new, our new studio, which will have better equipment, better phone lines. Um, and we'll be able to bring you better programming. So, again, think about uh, helping us out. Uh, we are almost at the finish line there. Go to uh, WBAI.org. And uh, thanks for your patience with this. We are working with some very old equipment here. And what I do want to let our listeners know is that in the second half hour, we are going to be taking your calls. Uh, we want to know how you feel about the discussion today. So write down this number to call after 530 at 212 209 
1-800-273-2877. Okay, so we are going to try to get back into it with Michael Edison Hayden from the Southern Hi. Poverty Law Center. Okay, Hayden, thanks for, uh, thanks for being patient with us. Uh, oh, no worries. You okay. hear me okay? Yes, I hear, you, uh, I hear you now. We will check to see that our uh, engineer is satisfied with the sound quality here. But again, go on. You, have, uh, you were telling us your story yeah. about this So, so, uh, this so essentially, um, Jaber was organizing... Uh, with Jaber, the State Department official, was organizing um, with a white nationalist group called The Right Stuff, um, which started from podcasts, and, uh, you know, the podcasts were popular. Um, they were, um, you know, white, white nationalist propaganda, basically. Um, if you know the, the triple parentheses around Jewish names. Yes. Um, the echo, echoes, it's called the, uh, the echoing... Yeah, the echoes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that was actually that that stems from the right stuff. That is their uh, their creation. So they the, with with the popularity of the podcast network, they built an on the ground movement that um, stretches across the United States. And um, they the they have always aspired to recruit people who are uh, you know superficially in good social standing, white men who are uh, upper, upper middle class, middle class, um, who, um, you know, basically are ready to, uh, you know, fight for a, for a white ethno state, theoretically, um, but, um, you know, usually mask their names because of, uh, right, theoretically, they could get into a lot of trouble. So, um, with, um, you know, in January, I reported on a guy named Specter, and um, he turned out to be a journalist, uh, and, uh, you know, who hadn't been working for a couple of years. And uh, following that, I did a, a story about a guy uh, who lives in Queens uh, named Joseph Jordan, who goes by the pseudonym Eric Stryker. And so I had built up um, uh, quite a bit of sourcing uh, doing doing those stories, and someone came to me with a tip, saying, "Hey, um, one of those guys works in the State Department," and uh, I did not believe it at first because you know you get a, you hear a lot of tall tales, um, but uh, you know when I began to go to other sources, uh, they corroborated it, and. Uh, I received additional corroboration from his online trail, which shows um, that he used uh, his own name with one of the cha one of his handles and changed it um, from starting around uh, 2015 and and well, actually, rather, he used his own name in about 2013, and then by 2015 was starting to use the handle at Total War Coach. Uh, so he didn't realize he left behind that trail. So this is a guy. So just to be clear, for you know, for listeners who might be just catching up on this, this is yeah. this is not some average run-of-the-mill guy. This is a guy who is uh, an official at the U.S. Department of State that is mm -hmm. operating. That is not just propagating, not just talking about, but actively organizing white nationalists in yeah, he was in and around Washington D.C. Yeah, he, he um, I mean, there, there are um, posts on a forum uh, for the right stuff where he is actively talking about vetting. Uh, some of my sources that didn't make it into the story you know, told me, uh, you know, it, it, stories about vetting involving him in explicit detail. So um, these are, I mean, this guy was recruiting, bringing people into the, uh, into the white nationalist movement, um, and that was his goal. He said, uh, you know, on one of the podcasts that it was the most important thing to him in his life. That pr presumably means his work at the State Department is secondary, uh, based on that. And he said that along with my family. Um, he also said that he, you know, on one of the podcasts that he, he has uh, three children. He said, you know, he said at least one of them, uh, you know, he said he wouldn't have had without the leaders in this movement. You know, encouraging, basically saying that um, it was to fight against white declining white birth rates, um, which is, uh, I think, you know, it's important for listeners to understand how many lives get ruined and tangled up in 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 this uh, in this madness. Um, 
that you know that is white nationalism and radicalization. It's not only the victims of mass shootings, but there are families and friends of families. There are sister-in-laws and cousins and uncles and parents who you know have have to live with the choices that people make once they're radicalized. And, um, and it's a very just... serious thing that's happening in the United States. If you're just joining us, this is WBAI's Driving Forces, Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons. We are speaking to Michael Edison Hayden, uh, a reporter, senior investigative reporter for the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center and Hate Watch. And we are talking about uh, white nationalism, some reporting that uh, that Hayden has done. But I uh, want to go to some broader questions for you now about white nationalism and what we're seeing. So, Michael, we all know that racist attitudes aren't anything new in this country or other countries, but do you think they've become more prevalent in the past few years or past decade? And uh, do you think technology or other forces are just showing us what's been there all along? So, uh, you know, I think this is, a good, you know, what you're asking is a, is a really complicated question that would require a book. I'll tell you, uh, let's, let's do a very simple answer, which is starting around the year 2000, you begin to see, in 2001, you begin to see a, a, a huge spike in our tracking of hate groups. And what happened at that time, uh, you know, my first mm-hmm. instinct when I came to Southern Poverty Law Center was to say, oh, 9-11, uh, there was a spike after 9-11, right? Uh, but actually, that's not the case. The the the, the It coincides with... A, uh, the first um, studies indicating that whites would be eventually become a minority in the United States. And this uh, became a huge recruiting uh, tool for uh, the racist right. Um, and essentially, um, you know, when whites become a minority in the United States, et cetera, um, we will all be <laughs> minorities in the United States. This is not a, uh, you know, this is it is not a, you know, an, an elimination, but it is being sold to people who are um, have concerns about, you know, the white race as being an elimination, a deliberate el- elimination, and one that is being, you know, like brought upon them by by forces that they can't understand, like Jews, for example, which is a conspiracy theory that they believe that like, the Jews are deliberately doing this and stuff like that, which is complete lie and total madness, um, and only works when you are, you know, on people who have been subjected to, to a steady drip of propaganda. So uh, my answer to you is that, um, you know, social media is, is certainly inflaming it, um, uh, the algorithms and things that you see on Twitter are certainly, um, you know, bring out these, this rapid response in people where you have these emotional things where you say, oh, you know, like whites are being eliminated, we're fighting for our race, these types of things in a kind of that, that, that read and react social media environment, you know, tend to, uh, tend to inflame people, tend to do very well. They get lots of likes and retweets and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think what you're seeing is a combination between underlying racism that already exists and some very skilled propagandists exploiting feelings of insecurity uh, in some uh, members of society. Um, and that's, it's, it's sort of a little bit of both. I don't know if it's worse or what, but it's certainly louder. And one of the one of the ways we were speaking a little bit earlier, we just mentioned it this, and uh, uh, in the couple of minutes that we have left to talk to you about this, and I, I do appreciate you taking the time. I know that you are obviously very very busy in the middle of this investigation right now. But um, we mentioned earlier that people might have seen. Uh, stories about these sort of undercover groups on Facebook, or people I don't know, people saying hateful things in the border patrol about immigrants or perhaps tweeting things that are uh, ugly memes about people in gas chambers and so on but you also specialize in looking into other uh sort of places where people can hide out and talk about these kind of things notably there's been a lot of uh discussion in in the past few days about one of them called 8chan so Mm. can you just um explain a little bit about that to people and then just maybe tell us you know is, can anything be done, or should anything be done? Will anything be done about platforms where people go to engage in hate? So, I mean, essentially what you're talking about here are, are, are fringe platforms. 
Um, these are, uh, you know, these are um, sites that tend to have a very, uh, you know, tenuous existence. They require um, the collaboration of other companies to stay online. Um, the, the major ones that attract uh, extremists, uh, off the top of my head, number one for me, ahead of 8chan or Infinity Chan, whichever you prefer to call it, uh, is, is, a, is the messaging app Telegram. That's mm-hmm. number one for me. Number two, even though it hasn't been associated with any, any deaths, and I can explain the difference in a second, um, uh, 8chan uh, is number two, uh, and very close number two, um, and, and, and number three would probably still be Gab, mm-hmm. um, which is a Twitter knockoff, uh, that was created as an alternative for um, for people who were, you know, thrown off of Twitter, basically, where they could say whatever they wanted. Uh, the Tree of Life shooter, uh, the alleged Tree of Life shooter, um, in uh, who killed 11 Jews in Pittsburgh in October of uh, 2018, he um, used that website and frequented that website and actually used it uh, to dox people and things like that. So. Um, that was, you know, a kind of a say anything website that that came into public consciousness first, and then people started to talk about eight chan or infinity chan after the Christchurch massacre, um, which took place in New Zealand in March 2019. Um, that's where uh, Brendan Tarrant allegedly uh, carried out a massacre of Muslim people. So, uh, so and, as far as as far as um, what can be done. Uh, what should be done, what will yeah. be done, what shouldn't be done if these are if people are making quote unquote free speech arguments, you know just to just to kind of wind it up um, sure. these places where people go to engage in this kind of stuff, what is next? What are you seeing as next for these kinds of platforms? Well, so you know I think that we can safely say uh, that um, that we will never get rid of fringe platforms. Uh, and, you know, there will always be kind of the dark web and things like that. You can never um, completely eradicate this stuff, and you can, you'll never be able to um, get rid of it completely. But what I would like to see, personally, um, is more mainstream social media platforms to, to begin to face the problem of radicalization and realize that the people who are using Telegram to promote terrorism, who are using HN to promote terrorism, are... The, the roots of their radicalization are being found on Twitter, on YouTube, and on Facebook. These are mainstream sites, and you know, there's we got a lot of questions about oh, free speech and all these different things. We regularly, you can't, you know, there, there's not like explicit sex on on Channel Four, like in the middle of the day. Uh, there's not, um, you know, uh, we, we we there are certain things you just can't say, um, you know, in in mainstream broadcasts, and you have to understand that. On Twitter, there's a huge megaphone, and if you allow white supremacists to organize on that website and to be able to pump propaganda every single day like a drumbeat, you're going to have more and more people going off to these fringe platforms and, you know, falling in with this, uh, with, with, with this propaganda. It's about, um, you know, for me, it's like the biggest megaphones are the first things that we need to start looking at. Michael, how can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-E, Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N. Uh, that's my, uh, my handle. Um, and you can go to, uh, Hate Watch, uh, look up Hate Watch, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, and you'll find, uh, all our recent investigations. Um, I don't remember, <laughs> I don't go to our own website because I'm just writing for it. Uh, but yeah, just go to Southern Poverty Law Center and, uh, you can look up the, you know, you can find about the State Department guy, which is, I think your listeners should be concerned about is, uh, you know, just shows just how far this radicalization has gone. Yeah, it's truly, truly. I mean, when I saw that story, you told you told me that you were working on some stuff generally, <laughs> but when I, when I saw that, I was, uh, Pretty, pretty riveted to, to yeah. say there some other some other more. words, but as you said, there's the, the certain words we cannot say on uh, on broadcast <laughs> radio. So I got just... I, I got some I got something more to drop in probably around 
September, late September. So okay, we will feel for that. I we think will, absolutely. Well, thank you, Ed. <laughs> Michael Edison Hayden of the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Hate yeah. Watch Reporting Project. Thanks for being here on Driving Forces today. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care, man. So as we get ready for our next guest, uh, one thing I just looked up, I want to kind of cite a statistic uh, that'll lead into this next conversation. Uh, Looking at a a decade from 2009 to 2018, the far right was responsible for three quarters, 73% of domestic extremist related fatalities, according to a a recent study by the Anti-Defamation League, and that toll is growing. So that wait, give us give us the statistic again. Seventy three percent of domestic extremist related fatalities, yes, yeah. uh, uh, create uh, were uh, created by the far right. Okay, right. So the idea that you've heard, and I think we're probably going to talk a little bit about this with our next guest mm-hmm. too, but. Um, Maybe in the in the incident in Dayton, uh, for example, there's been a lot of talk about that. Uh, the person uh, accused in the, in that crime uh, having retweeted or shared information mm-hmm. that was more in support of what you would call Antifa, the far left, so mm-hmm. to speak. That he was not sort of a a torch waving, unite the right kind of goose stepping, you know, character of the sort that we have come to associate with a lot of these. Uh, uh, tragedies and um, one of the people who has been very quick to point that out repeatedly as a matter of fact that this person was associated with Antifa uh, or tried to be associated with Antifa is President Donald Trump so um, big questions obviously and I'm sure this is something that people are going to want to call in about a little bit later in the show um, what role does Donald Trump's rhetoric have in uh, in this, we have people now openly referring to him. Obviously, a lot of people uh, in the in uh, activist circles and so on, or in pundit circles, have made reference to him as a white supremacist. Now you have other uh, candidates for president, uh, Elizabeth Warren among them, specifically calling the president out, saying the president is a white supremacist. So we are going to talk about that a little bit, but I think right now we are going to jump to our next guest. Yeah, and before we do that, I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and Celeste Katz here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. Today's topic is white supremacy and hate speech, and we are now going to talk with our next guest, Candace McCoy of the John Jay College of Criminal Justice. So uh, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Good, good, good. So, uh, Professor McCoy, thanks for joining us today. I know you have done uh, a ton of work uh, with um, uh, investigating all forms of, of issues in, in uh, law enforcement. You've done uh, work on how juries work, on how police work, police community relations, and so on. And when I asked you to uh, come on the program here, uh, I, the way I set up the question was sort of like, can you come on the program and talk about how uh, you know, what normal people, average people, regular people can do about the proliferation of hate online. And you responded to me in what I thought was a very interesting way about uh, you know, the people who become radicalized, maybe they were just once you know, average, unknown people who found these new communities. It was an interesting way of thinking about it. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? And you talked about the, the role of social media in that. Uh, sure. Uh, it's it sounds perhaps not as um, uh, as stark as uh, the rhetoric that we we hear from both sides, uh, left and right. Uh, I, I was interested in just what you were saying about uh, calling uh, Donald Trump a white supremacist and how everybody's jumping onto this. Um, there's no question that Donald Trump is a racist. Just look at his his policies. Look at look at what he's calling for. Look at the immigration uh, proposals he's put out. Uh, the question is then: Do we have to call him a white supremacist? How does it does it matter? And look at what the social media response is. Everybody has to jump on it. Everybody has to be on every platform calling out uh, white supremacy, 
and then everybody on the right has to be on every possible platform calling out the snowflakes. I, it, so in terms of, quote, regular people, Celeste, mm-hmm. I, I said just normal people, how we respond to this. Well, we're all on social media of some sort, and uh, we're all just regular people, including those of us who are, on, um, I don't know, a bit more extreme on uh, different sides, <laughs> the left as well as the right. And uh, we have to remember when we jump on and pile on um, that, that social media is designed to encourage foamers, uh, people who foam at the mouth. Um, it's entertainment. It gets your adrenaline up. People profit from it monetarily every time you click or share. Um, the incentive is to be as outrageous as possible because it sells. And it, and, it, and it draws you in and sucks you in and you keep going. And who buys it? The regular people. Just us. All and- of us. Uh, in our, uh, we're, I'm going to let Jeff jump in here too, but I just wanted to say, um, just for context for our listeners, um, I should have mentioned in your bio earlier that um, last year you were a fellow of the National Center on Free Speech and Civic Engagement, uh, sponsored by the University of California. So I just wanted to mention that because um, I think we're going to get into some issues about about free speech and freedom of expression, even in the case of what is pretty much inarguably hatred, hate speech. Sure. Yes. I'm just making the point that uh, the more we're on social media, the more we get hooked on it. Even there's a physical addiction for some folks. So, Um, Professor... And and that creates radicalization on left or right. So, Professor, these views often, you know, used to be on the fringe, but now they're much more mainstream. Is it just... You know, due to technology, is it due to the climate? Is it due to the fact that we have a president who seems to be fomenting this? Uh, You know, give us your views on that. Well, you know, I think any major issue, major problem, and this is a problem, we've got a social problem here, is caused by many factors. Um, And I can't say which one is more important, but uh, I, I am pointing to the intolerance that comes from uh, uh, being constantly, constantly fomenting on social media. I, I say social media promotes anger, you know, closed-mindedness, intolerance, and my joke is that's just from my friends on the left. You know, <laughs> I know that's. <laughs> I, I don't know many people on the right, but boy, have, do we see closed-mindedness and unwillingness to to listen, and furthermore, to uh, jump on anything that is perceived as a slight or perceived as, as uh, incorrect and, uh, and call it terrible names when that may not have been the, the, the general context or the intent of the, of the uh, speaker. The reason I say this is, is that um, there's plenty of blame to go around here. And, and insofar as we have become a nation of, of uh, as foamers, you know, just constantly foaming at the mouth, constantly attacking each other, it's not surprising that a certain segment of that group is going to buy into this as an entire lifestyle and worldview. And uh, we, we all push ourselves into it. And what has been fascinating to me is thinking about, you know, any type of approach uh, that would be effective to prompt people to really start to question those beliefs and maybe evolve and not be, as you said, you know, have this closed mindedness. Yes, yes. I I think it might come uh, from the beginning just to look and say, wait a minute, who is profiting by this? I mentioned that. Uh, who, Who benefits from me getting more and more angry and more and more intolerant and more and more radical. Um, Bob Mueller was uh, begging us all to read his report, right? And I read it. And uh, he, he listed a lot of the uh, uh, accounts that were Russian trolls. That One of my favorite, blacktivists, do you know that, that, that people were yelling and that, that was a Russian troll? And, and when you are on social media and you're, and you're having these, these screaming matches, ask yourself, wait a minute, are you even talking to a real person? Um, It's something to think about. People benefit from the anger. 
if we could dial it back, we might not be uh, pre, uh, causing as much radicalization. We, we also might be able actually to talk to real people again. If you're just joining us, uh, we are speaking to Professor Candace McCoy of the Graduate Center CUNY, John Jay College of Criminal Justice. This is WBAI New York with uh, Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons here on Driving Forces. And Professor, going back to what you said, I want to stay on that for, for one moment. Um, you know, obviously, one of the uh, options here, I guess, would be to sort of disengage, say, look, I'm not going to get sucked into this vortex of anger and hatred and possibly even getting played by some some fake trumped up site that is there just to to um, stir up my emotions and my anger that isn't real. Mm -hmm. um, but what would you say to somebody who says, well, look, if I if I sort of pull out of this argument, am I not seeding am i not seeding the day am i not you know uh, it, you know sort mm -hmm. of admitting defeat in the, the face mm -hmm. of the 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 very things that make me mm -hmm. angry like like prejudice and and hatred mm -hmm. and violence great 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 question and uh i don't i don't know the answer to that but i i do know that uh uh this is not working i do think that rather the word you used celeste was uh disengage I don't think anybody can afford to disengage, and certainly that's not, that is not the free speech we know. We do not disengage. But we can dial it back, and we can be a little more careful, and we can be a little more thoughtful. Uh, that's what I think I'm calling for here. Um, it's also, you know, the idea of seeding the, the, uh, the battle. Um, um, at the end of the day, I, I really was very interested in your comments about Donald Trump and is he as a white supremacist and people are calling it out and it's all this is very contemporary just today um, does it really ultimately matter if he is a white supremacist or a white nationalist and what the differences are the fact is his policies at the border are stone-cold racist so let's keep our eyes on that and keep talking about how we can move forward on that horrible problem instead of spending our energies worrying about whether he gets called out as a white supremacist. Um, I think that I, I take your point, and certainly uh, we've had guests on the program talk about that sort of thing. Nobody can read his mind or know what's in his heart. <laughs> we can look at his actions, though, and say... Yes. Uh, the things that he does and the things that he does not do. For example, if you ask him, would you prefer that people not chant certain things or uh, you know, talk about certain violent things and he, if he will not condemn them or sort of tepidly condemns them, is inaction is also an action, right? So um, the question then becomes, how do you sort of dial it back uh, when people are afraid that the rhetoric has gotten so hot that people are looking at are looking at the things the president is saying and and interpreting them in a way and using them as mm -hmm. as fodder to do extremely to, to do okay. to commit here's, crimes here's against humanity I'd, here's a question I'd, I'd answer your question with a question okay um, has anybody really ever changed their mind uh, from a uh, uh, an exchange on Twitter has anybody ever changed their mind from a Facebook fight? I don't um, think so. Well, I mean, it, it, it doesn't. It just makes you angrier. Just a question with a question there. No, it's, a um, good, it's a good I mean, it reminds me of something my father has said to me many a time in the past, which is that people read newspapers to convince themselves of what they already think. <laughs> <laughs> people, people, people come to the game with their own impressions, and they just they just want to read what you have to say to make sure they were right all along. Right, so, right. It, it, yeah, I go online so that I can uh, can get my opinion validated. But you're not really there to learn anything, or to figure out how to engage with anybody else. And, and that, uh, social media is not social engagement. Uh, so how could we engage? Uh, I don't have an answer for that in 15 minutes. I don't think anybody has an answer for that. But I know it isn't 
done by calling people names. So, Professor, you've also done a lot of research on police procedure. So we're curious if you've got any thoughts on how law enforcement has to evolve to deal with this or try to prevent it, uh, such as uh, the active shooter events that we're seeing all too frequently. Yeah. You know, I'm from Ohio. I, uh, the Dayton thing just absolutely, at my, my cousins were chanting, do something, do something. So this, this touches me personally. I, um, I, I know Dayton. I have to say that uh, Police Chief Richard Beal uh, did the right thing. He had his officers down there in a popular nightclub area uh, after the Orlando shooting, uh, after the Las Vegas uh, uh, concert shooting. Uh, he, he had his officers ready, and they, they stopped this man in 30 seconds. You know, it, can't, it doesn't get any better than that. So how can we say, oh, we'll improve, we'll get better, what can law enforcement do? Uh, I don't think there's anything more law enforcement can do. I think what has to happen is we have to ban assault weapons. And any police officer will tell you the same. It's interesting that some of the, the people who are the most uh, quietly, and they're not saying a lot, but the, the, the most, most supportive of gun, gun control are the police. Uh, of course, because they want to have the guns, right? <laughs> they have, but they know how to use them. They, they, so uh, the idea that, that this is a mental health problem only and not, the, not a problem of assault weapons is ludicrous. And I think any police officer will tell you that. And uh, Professor Candace McCoy, where can people find out more about your research and the work you do on criminal justice and free speech? Oh, they can they can take a class at the City University of New York. Okay. <laughs> John Jay College and the Graduate Center, wonderful, wonderful institutions. Uh, if they want to read uh, some work, just Google me. I'm right there. Okay, perfect. Uh, Professor Candice McCoy, really been a pleasure having you here with us today on WBAI. It's my pleasure. Take care. So we're going to open up the phone lines now. The number is 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. And we've had, uh, obviously, we've talked about a lot today here in terms of uh, hate movements, white nationalism, white supremacy. Uh, what do you think about what's what's going on here? You've uh, heard stories, read stories, seen stories about how Donald Trump has responded to uh, to the events in El Paso uh, and Dayton, and certainly before that, events in in Orlando or uh, in uh, Parkland, Florida, or uh, Pittsburgh. All of these things. Do you think? he's saying and doing the right things uh or is he not saying and doing enough of the right things or is he deliberately doing the wrong things what do you think president trump um has been accused of being of being a white supremacist by some of the people who want his job including uh as we mentioned earlier senator elizabeth warren what do you think give us a call 212-209-2877 209-2877. And we've already got a call. Uh, we, okay, we're waiting for a call. Oh, oh we don't have a call. Okay, we <laughs> but, thought we did. But I do want to go back to something uh, that you had said earlier, Celeste, as yeah. we're waiting for a call. You sure, said sure. basically that nobody, you said nobody can read his mind, meaning the president. But, of course, there were two journalists who were trying to do that in their new book, The Method to the Madness, which if you donate today $50 to uh, – to WBAI, you can receive a copy of this book. So just call 516-620-3602, and you can receive a copy of The Method to the Madness and maybe get a little insight into the president's absolutely, mind. Absolutely, absolutely, because I think we would all like to know what is go- what do you think is going on in his head? And as I, you're right. I did say we can't read his mind. Uh, our authors here did try to figure out. I think the, the premise of their book was more that he seems to be uh, sort of doing this freehand and he doesn't have mm-hmm. a plan he seems to be bumbling around but he's this is actually a very coordinated campaign give us a call we're going to take some of your calls right now 212-209-2877 and wbai you're on the air what's your name and where you're from hi welcome to wbai hi you're on hello? the air hello you're on the air oh i was told i was coming on Okay, okay. W- welcome to BAI. 
Yes, Richard from Newark. Okay, Richard, what's on your mind today? It's, it's, we, we have to be careful how, how we go down this road. Trump is his own, his own, um, you know, his own, how, how can I say, he got his own ways. And I guess reflect back to George W. Bush, I mean, George Bush, and how he bundled like Katrina and so many people died. That did not happen under Donald Trump. Now, with him speaking the way that he speaks, yeah, he should clean it up. He should. But the other Democrats that are running, they are not showing me. I mean, they're, they're politicking. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful on that end, too. Now, we also have to be honest here now. Okay. Because it was a great discussion for at least 20 years about hip-hop music, rock music, rap music that have subliminal messages and using the N-word. That's hate speech, too. Absolutely. And let that go of, of trying to really stop that. But I'll let you respond. Okay, thank you, and thank you very much for your call. We we certainly do appreciate it. Uh, you know, as look, I think I don't know what do you think, Jeff. I mean, let me you if you want to jump in on that first. We have a lot of calls here, but yeah, I mean, it's I think the short answer is that there is no short answer. the The short answer is that is that um, there's not one way to look at this. There's not one way to interpret it. And I think we're going to come to some of our more calls here. Uh, again, if you are uh, listening, you want to talk about this, we're going to try to get as many of your calls as we can. So we're going to keep it a little short. 212-209-2877. Okay, here we go. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're from? Uh, this is Larry from Nutley, New Jersey. Okay, Larry, what's on your mind today? Uh, this morning I was listening to NPR, and they were uh, interviewing somebody who was a former FBI person. And they were saying, well, we can't really deal with the rights to domestic terrorism because, you know, we can't do anything just based on First Amendment protected speech. And the NPR journalist didn't call them on the fact that the FBI all the time targets people on the left, uh, people in the Black Lives Movement, for example, based on protected First Amendment speech and not on any actions, any violent intent, not even violent language. Um, I sent uh, NPR an article, a recent statement from the ACLU on this. So I think this also leaves out the fact that a lot of the reason why we're not, our government isn't taking effective action against right-wing terrorists is because they're too busy monitoring peaceful people on the left. Interesting point, and uh, thank you for your call. We we uh, we do you know we do appreciate that, and that is an interesting point. We're going to take more of your calls in a moment, but uh, what can you say and what can you not say? Uh, you know, where does your freedom of speech extend to? I think we all understand that your personal freedoms extend to the point where they are not infringing on the freedoms of another person. You can't the sort of fire in a crowded theater mm-hmm. argument. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. That that could lead to the harm of other people. But um, do you feel like, and if you want to call in two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven, do you feel like? Uh, people on the left or people on the right are being more or less targeted by law enforcement just for the things that they say. Uh, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you from? Hello. Hi, Hello. welcome. Hi. Um, my name is Marion. I'm from the Bronx. Um, of course, I think people on the left are more targeted by the cops, but um, I really call to... Um, talk about something that you raised earlier, which was um, about the Dayton shooter being involved with Antifa. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen his social media, so I don't really know. But I did look at the pictures of the victims in, in Dayton, and the, the majority of them are black. And... I really don't think that somebody on the left would be doing that, and in particular. And I just I feel like it's a it's a smoke screen that people have raised. Interesting. Thank you very much for your. You, for, I mean, I, yeah. I'm interested what you think. Um, 
Uh, I was not familiar with that. That's the, the, that level of detail about who was in the bar. I'm not familiar with. So. Well, I think I think that um, certainly you can newspapers, so you can just look. Oh yeah, no, I I know I know that. Right. I mean, you have. I would say uh, maybe I can speak more directly to uh, the case, uh, you know, in El Paso, where you had, from what I understand of the reports there, you had uh, somebody saying that they wanted to to uh, prevent a Hispanic invasion, uh, you know, it's a bit of a paraphrase, but that this this sort of influx of immigrants was was descending upon the country, and that it, it fell to it fell to him or people like him to to do something about it. So um, this, is, this is a particularly bizarre. That was a particularly bizarre uh, place to do that, given that Texas used to belong to Mexico. So the people that are invading are actually white people. <laughs> You want to know the truth? Oh, is that historical fact? That's kind of the uh, that's kind of the history of our of our country in a way. I think uh, certainly we have uh, programs that that deal in in great detail uh, with uh, uh, who was here first and who was not. But uh, thank you for your call. We are going to continue to take more of your calls. Two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Try to get to as many people as we can. And WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're from? Hi, welcome to BAI. Okay, let's try, okay. Yeah, let's we'll try, try another call. Okay, we will try another call. Um, let's see here. Uh, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Good afternoon. Uh, Arthur from Queens, New York. Okay, what's uh, on your mind today? Well, I, I guess for one thing, I, I miss John Stewart so much. And one of the reasons why is because I can remember him telling uh god that that idiot who's on now he's on fox uh he used to wear a bow tie <laughs> but, tucker uh, he, carlson tucker carlson you need to stop and what he meant by that was really the game there's a there's a game that's been going on for quite some time and it's now been perfected by fox tv and that is the uh the fake outrage the people who get so upset over nothing be it Christmas in the White House or whatever. Now you got, I mean, this, this thing about Antifa and comparing that with uh, white nationalists. I mean, there's always been people in the FBI and other organizations in, in the police department who knew more about the Black Panthers and let's say Black Lives Matter than they ever knew about the Klan and George Lincoln Rockwell's organization. Well, uh, well obviously, Tucker Carlson has not calmed down because he claimed that white supremacy is a hoax and now is suddenly taking a vacation in the wilderness. The, the <laughs> other thing I wanted to say, too, I think Trump is pretty much a guy who has no friends. And what he did, to, he's like a kid with no friends who found a group of kids that maybe aren't that cool that he figures to say that he's hanging with and mm. he'll say what they want to hear. That's why I didn't expect anything from him in Texas yesterday. I didn't expect anything from him. And, you, you, you know, and even when he supposedly as a normal person would have done, he was still tweeting about Beto O'Rourke and others. And it's basically what you have here is someone who's only talking to that base. And the people who work for him are only talking to him. Hey, boss. You look, you're a rock star. Can you imagine someone who worked in the White House actually said mm -hmm. they treated him like a rock star going to that hospital to see victims? Are you kidding me? I I wish I could tell you yes, but I think that your account of uh, of uh, some of these uh, interactions in in places where where a great number of people, innocent people, have been slaughtered is is uh, is pretty fair. That uh, he certainly was tweeting about uh, what he perceived as political slights against him, uh, I believe, during the flight from mm -hmm. El Paso mm -hmm. to Dayton. Uh, some of that might have been while he was watching certain programming on, on Fox television. Watching TV uh, yeah. all the time. All so, the way. yeah, man, look, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and we do appreciate your call. Thank you very much. You know, making plans to meet Tucker, you know, for some well, quality that's time interesting. camping. You know, somebody, we're going to take another call right now, but somebody did make an interesting point, a uh, fellow I used to work with. So, uh, Halty, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm stealing your line, but I'm giving you credit. Um, he said that um, Tucker Carlson gets on television, and he says, 
white nationalism is, isn't real. It's a hoax. It's a conspiracy theory. But a couple of days ago, Donald Trump gave a speech urging Americans to, to reject hatred and white nationalism. So does that mean we have a president who is a conspiracy theorist? <laughs> just, uh, just something to think about. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're from? Hi, my name is Fern, and I come from western New Jersey where all the big um, uh, chicken hawks hit little balls with big sticks and say that they can never go to war, but they want to profiteer from it. And now, I think the most important thing that the public who are disgusted by this can do is to call up your cable company and say, you know, I don't want all this super duper. Will you put me back down on the basic? Because when you start to hit media in the pocket, the only thing they understand. And if there's a particular uh, product that you're kind of irritated about, you know, whatever, whatever irks you, you call up that sponsor and say, look, I'm sick of this nonsense and I will never buy your stuff again. And that's what's going to change the tune because when you're as vain as most of these uh, candidates are, I mean, this one is the worst of the worst, but we've had similar messes in the past. Um, when the money starts to flow away from the stations that allow this vomit to come up as truth, um, they're going to just abandon ship. Okay. Thank you, Fern, for your, for your call. We do, we do appreciate it. So uh, the show has to come to an end at some point today. Uh, so we want to, oh, we've got, but we've got one other call. We'll take one other call and then we're going to go. Hi, welcome to BAI. What's your name and what's on your mind? Yes. Hi, how are you doing? I know that the, um, I know the show's almost done, but, um, yeah, it's funny how I went. To, I, I had worked. I had worked this past Sunday, and I'm in, I'm browsing YouTube, and I saw the um, the latest news about you know another the thing going on in Dayton. And I was like, wait a second, the thing in Texas happened less than 23, 24 hours prior to. Mm-hmm. So this thing is getting so rampant now that even you know I myself I travel upstate. You know, it's like you know when you go further upstate New York, you know you have a lot of white communities. You know, so sometimes I get kind of skeptical. As if I'm gonna, you know, gonna be the victim of a race of a hate crime, but I think today, I think 200, like small, t- like town officials nationwide, they have actually put in a petition to address this matter. What I think is gonna happen by the end of this year, probably almost all the like town officials nationwide, they're gonna they're, they're gonna petition, and something's gonna have to be done. Absolutely, and we agree. Because, something. Because I, I listen, I listen to um, NYC all day, and they were talking about these two events all day so far actually all week so far mm-hmm. and we thank you for calling in we're going to have to wrap because uh we want to thank you for listening today's to today's edition of driving forces with celeste katz and me we want to also thank our two special guests michael edison hayden and uh, professor candace mccoy and of course our wonderful engineer Catherine, who has just done wonderful juggling all these calls today yes absolutely and of course we always want to thank you our listeners for uh, sharing this time with us and for supporting WBAI. You can catch every episode of this program on uh, SoundClouds, iTunes, Stitcher. You never have to miss an episode. Just subscribe. You can check us out on Twitter and Facebook, too. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons. See you on the radio and stay tuned now for a Gary Knoll special. WBAI Local Station Board Town Hall Planning Group is meeting on August 21st at 7 p.m. and you're invited. It is at the Wall Street Atrium, 60 Wall Street in Manhattan. You are invited to participate and share your ideas. That's 7 p.m. August 21st at the Wall Street Atrium, 60 Wall Street in Manhattan. See you there.
So if you are a Gary No fan, stay tuned because we're going to hear more from Gary No. He is going to be talking about a plan that he has to increase the longevity of each person who goes along with a change in lifestyle. We are listener-sponsored non-